Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, score! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Special edition tonight. I'm Jason Longshore, hanging out with you, talking soccer. It's our usually our weekly show, but sometimes you get little bonus editions like this one. This show was scheduled to be after the U.S. women's national team match in the quarterfinals. As we know, that match didn't happen. There was a match tonight, the Netherlands and Spain, and it was a doozy. We'll talk about that. We'll also hear from Jessica Charman as England gets ready to play in the quarterfinals. Charlotte FC, her beloved crown, are facing Lionel Messi in the League's Cup quarterfinals tomorrow night. We'll hear from Jess on all of that. I got a special 3-4-3 for you as well to close things out. But let's get into this game tonight, and yes, we will bring it back around to the U.S. women's national team, since that's why I'm here tonight. This time slot, even, for a game was set up, just to show you how people expected the U.S. women's team to do in this World Cup. This time slot, and the one in the round of 16 that the Dutch played in, it was specially created for U.S. primetime television. If you've noticed, there haven't been any other games in that time slot, that 9 o'clock kickoff time slot. That was specifically made for the two U.S. women's national team matches in the first round and the winner of the group going forward. Well, the U.S. didn't win the group. That's why they played at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, and they didn't get through that match, and that's why they're done. The Dutch won the group, and the Dutch were dominant throughout the tournament. It was scoreless at halftime tonight with Spain. This was a great match, I thought, between two teams that, I don't know, it felt like a 
different kind of game than we've seen from the U.S. in this tournament and from some other teams. I thought it was played at a really high level this one tonight. The match tonight, it was scoreless at halftime. That's the first time in the tournament that the Dutch were not leading at halftime. Now, they were thoroughly outplayed in the first half by Spain. And look, we've seen this play out with this Spanish national team. Uh, We've seen it on the men's side as well. It's funny how at times the men's teams and the women's teams have the same soccer culture, the same identity, the same way of playing. It's Spain. They want the ball. They're comfortable with the ball. If they don't have the ball, that's where they're uncomfortable. This is a team that expects to dominate possession. They had 62% of the possession tonight. They had 61% of the possession in the first half. They outshot the Dutch 12-1 in the first half. Three shots on target. They couldn't find the back of the net. Now, the second half changed a little bit in this one. Possession really didn't. It was about the same all the way through. But the Dutch started to find opportunities on the break. Spain has this thing, and we have seen it during Luis Enrique's time in charge of the men's national team, and we've seen it with this women's national team. We saw it against Japan in the group stage. They dominate, they dominate, they have all of the ball, and then they have a lapse. They have that lull in the game where things get a little stagnant and they get punished. Spain in the first half and early in the second was so good on the ball, and then when they lost it, they won it back quickly. When they started to get maybe a little tired, maybe a little frustrated, maybe a little fatigued, maybe just a little distracted because they couldn't get the breakthrough, the Dutch started to look more dangerous. That all really started in the 62nd minute. A little bit of controversy in this one. A late decision to call for a penalty. A ball was played in for behind, played in behind for Lenneth Bernstein. There was contact with the Spanish defender, Paredes. The referee, who's one of the best, Stephanie Frappart, who has refereed Champions League matches before on the men's side, did not initially call the foul. And I, I don't know if it was the fourth official or if it was an AR who said that should be a penalty. I don't know how that conversation went. But as play had continued the other way, she blew the whistle and pointed to the spot calling the penalty. Then VAR got involved and asked the referee to go look at the monitor. The monitor showed the referee that the penalty should be overturned. Now, there was a lot of discussion about this one. I'm sure in the Dutch media there will be all kinds of discussion about this one. I think it was the right call, ultimately, because I don't think it was a push in the back. Bernstein tried to get in front of the defender, and the defender goes to play shoulder-to-shoulder, and I think the contact starts shoulder-to-shoulder as Bernstein's leaning forward, not to play the ball, but I think to draw a different kind of contact. The shoulder of the defender ends up in the back of the attacker, but I think the contact started shoulder-to-shoulder. I think it's a Good no call on a penalty there. Now, play has to restart with a drop ball because whistle was blown during the play. The ball had not gone dead at that point. 
kind of a weird situation. I'm sure the Dutch are very aggrieved by that decision, but I think it's the right one. Uh, You heard Dr. Joe on the Fox broadcast. He felt like it shouldn't be a penalty. Now, our commentators, J.P. Della Camera and and Allie Wagner, two of the best in the business, they thought it was a penalty. I thought it was a penalty live, but the replay made me feel like it wasn't, and maybe that's the same for the referee who didn't seem all that convinced of it to begin with. Going the other way, 79th minute, Spain got a penalty, and it was a late decision, and VAR had to get involved, I think, in this case to see if it was a handball inside the 18-yard box. It was a cross from the right side from Spain. Defender's arm goes out. It was a handball. The question was where, and it's just inside the 18. It's really harsh. It's really difficult for that to be called, but it is absolutely handled by the letter of the law. Uh, Stephanie Vandercraft, the center back, a little bit bad positioning there, and an arm comes out. You have to call it because it deflects across. Spain takes the lead in the 79th minute. Mariona Caldente uh, gets the goal. It's off the post. Good finish. First time the Dutch trailed in the tournament. Now then, the Netherlands, and this was the story of the match for them, chances and chances and chances and chances. And a lot of them were for Lenneth Bernstein. Big chance in the 86th minute, saved at the near post. A big chance in the 90th minute, sliced it wide. Has to put that on goal, comes across it. 12 minutes of stoppage time go up, and that felt crazy. The Dutch didn't need 12 minutes. They needed one. They get the equalizer, and wouldn't you know it, it's the center back, Vandercraft, who had pushed up to be a second forward who got that finish. We saw the Dutch. It's funny how you get these parallels, right? In in the Men's World Cup against Argentina, it wasn't a center back who went up. It was Wout Weghorst, the, the giant forward, and the Dutch got very direct. We're not generally accustomed to the Netherlands being a super direct team with size up top. It's in their bag of tricks. They used it in the Men's World Cup to get that one to penalties. They used it in the Women's World Cup to get this one level with Spain. It was a great through ball. Vanderhaft stayed on on side barely, maybe by half a foot, and puts it home to make it 1-1. So we go to extra time. And it's the same story. Spain with the ball. Not getting quite as many chances as they had in the first half, but still controlling the game. The Dutch get those breaks. Berenstein again in the 107th minute pushed the shot wide of the far post. A great ball from Lincoln Martins. Berenstein again in the 111th minute. But this time, Spain goes the other way. They get their second goal, which ends up being the winner. Salma Parayuelo gets the goal. The 19-year-old from Barcelona, great ball on the break, gets the 1v1, takes the defender to the outside, left-footed shot into the far side netting. And that's all Spain needed. The Dutch kept going. They kept trying to find something they could not. And Spain, their first Women's World Cup semifinal. Now, let's tie this back into the U.S. women's national team and maybe what's coming next for the program. Well, one, they're going to have to get used to more players worldwide talking about the U.S. women's national team, and it's not all going to be positive. Lenneth Berenstein, 
in a press conference before this game was asked about the U.S. women's national team. Remember, the Dutch lost to the U.S. in the final in 2019. They drew with the U.S. in the group stage. In this tournament, very even game draw felt like the fair result. Berenstein, when asked about the U.S., said, quote, the first thing I thought when I saw they were eliminated was, okay, bye. Quote, from the first moment, they were already talking about the final. They were too mouthy. Another quote, talk less and do more on the field. Well, as we've seen on the former Bird app, now the X app, a lot of U.S. women's national team fans and media who cover the team have reminded Lyneth Bernstein of those words from her press conference earlier this week. She had a slew of opportunities, a plethora, if you will, and could not find the back of the net in this match. Okay. I think on both sides of this, the U.S. women's national team, going to have to get used to this. Lyneth Bernstein, going to have to get used to this. Talking, talking a little trash, pointing out some things, all good. Until you don't deliver on the things that you said. Then you become a target. Now, the best of the best don't mind talking, and they have the confidence to deal with the times that it gets shoved back in their face. And Lyneth Bernstein's going to have to deal with that now. Um, it is a little sad that this is what the conversation from the U.S. women's national team side of things is down to because the Dutch advanced further in the tournament than the U.S. did. Yeah, she probably shouldn't have said anything. But really, from a U.S. perspective, whining about somebody saying that maybe you were looking ahead, maybe a little arrogant, maybe talk less and do more on the field, all those things, not necessarily wrong. And that is really the conundrum that the U.S. Women's National Team program is in right now. Let's go back to Spain for a minute. And this is the difference that we are seeing now. The goal scorer, the game winner, Salma Parayuelo. First off, get to know the name. Practice it a few times. You're going to be hearing about her a lot. She was part of the U-17 World Cup winning team for Spain. She was part of the U-20 Women's World Cup winning team for Spain. She scored two goals in the final last summer in Costa Rica. And now she's put Spain into a World Cup semifinal at the senior level. That's a lot. To recap, Spain's won back-to-back U-17 World Cups on the women's side. They've been to back-to-back finals on the U-20 side. They won the last one. They lost in the final the time before to Japan. Speaking of Japan, that's another team to be paying a lot of attention to right now in the world of women's soccer. Japan is playing Sweden here in a few hours. You might have a Japan-Spain rematch of their group stage match that Japan throttled Spain. That might be a rematch in a World Cup semifinal. Yes, Japan won the U-20 World Cup in 2018. Spain won it in 2022. If you're seeing a trend, good. That's the trend. That's the important element here. The U.S. has not been in those finals. The U.S. has not looked good at the youth national team level for a while now. 
Spain, just to give you a little more context here, the Spanish top flight, it's known as Liga F. It's changed names a few times. It's the women's equivalent of La Liga. It's Liga F for sponsorship reasons. It's been fully professional across the entire league for two years, since 2021. That's it. There were some professional players before that, but the league as a whole, being professional, two seasons. This is going to be the third season of fully professional women's soccer in Spain ever. They did all that at the youth level before you were fully professional. Now they're fully professional. Barcelona spent a, a club record transfer fee to bring in Kira Walsh from England. They won the last four titles in the domestic league. They just won their second Champions League in June. They play amazing soccer. They've helped develop Barriuelo and so many other top Spanish players. That's the difference. The players being developed. The level of player being developed. Not just the physical qualities of the players being developed. Not even just the technical qualities of the players being developed. And I know that's a big talking point, especially when you're talking Spain and Japan, who are two super technical teams. The biggest difference, in my opinion is the tactical development. Handling pressure in moments, knowing how to play as a unit, knowing how to play as a box midfield versus a, a midfield trio with a holding midfielder behind two or a double pivot, knowing how to switch from system to system in a game, knowing how to play three up top or sometimes two, or having to get direct and play like the Dutch did tonight to get back into the game, playing with a line of five versus a line of four, all those sides of things. You don't get to work on that in the college game very much because the college game is a sprint. It is 20 games in about 12 weeks. You don't have time to work on tactics at that level. It is game. It is recovery. It is fitness in the preseason, and it is go, go, go. Professionally, in these leagues, even if they're not being paid a ton of money, you're working on these things. The coaching has been brilliant in Spain, in Japan, in so many other countries. And that is the difference. If you don't believe me, that's cool. I've got an interview for you. It's going to be available on Off the Woodwork uh, immediately after the show. Gabriel Chapman, who is involved in the player agency side of things in women's football, uh, has coached here locally for a number of years, now a player agent working in the women's game. He had some really interesting things to say. Please check that out on Off the Woodwork when you get a chance. But coming up next on AST, we'll hear from Jessica Charman to preview Saturday morning's World Cup quarterfinals. Her beloved Lionesses, her beloved Charlotte FC, we'll talk about Leagues Cup as well. They're traveling down to Fort Lauderdale to face Inter-Miami in the Leagues Cup quarterfinal tomorrow night. We'll hear from Jess coming up next on Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We've got three big games coming up to catch up with our good friend Jessica Charman. One of them involves her beloved Charlotte FC. We're going to save that for the last one. The other one involves her beloved Lionesses. Jess, are you ready for this next couple of days in your soccer life? It's a wild ride, honestly. I'm not sure I had on my bingo card Charlotte FC potentially playing Lionel Messi three times in his first season (laughs) in the U.S., uh, I'm not sure I was prepared for the slander that's come out of people's mouths, basically saying that I should be prepared to call a nine-goal game, and I'm pretty sure they're giving more than half those goals to Leo's team. Very possible. And then when it comes to Lionesses, you know, it, it's a big deal playing Colombia, and it kind of sucks going against the team that's stolen the hearts of the neutral, right? You are now the team that everybody else hopes loses, because let's be honest, the way that Colombia has risen has been incredible. Their story is amazing. Their players captivate everything, what it means to be a player at this level and inspire the next generation. Kind of sucks when the team that you love is going to be the bad guy if they come up victorious. It's a tough scenario to be in, Jason Longshore. Yeah, and I mean, you know, full disclosure, this is a difficult match for you just in your household, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There may be some people in my household that are rooting for the other side. That, that's that's <laughs> what I'll say. It, it may be a, a split decision. I may not be very popular if the Lionesses are able to come through. But I think for someone that spent time in Colombia, that nation does own part of my heart. I yeah. really love the growth of the women's game. It's been very much an honor to witness that um, growth in just the four or five years that I visited Colombia. So it's one of those scenarios where, don't get me wrong, I'm rooting for England all the way. Of course. But there would be something in my heart that would be extremely excited if Colombia were able to advance. Is that sitting on the fence a little bit? I think it might be that I feel like I have a decent team to carry on supporting through if it goes either way. Yeah, that that is fair sitting on the fence. This, this is not your run of the mill. I don't know which side to pick, so I'm not going to pick. No, no. Okay. This, 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 okay. is, this is conflicted, and it's, it's understandable in your situation. I, I want to ask you about a couple of players for England that are starting to get some pub that I feel like they have deserved. Maybe around the world, and especially in, in Europe, Mary Earps has been talked about as one of the best goalkeepers on the planet. I don't feel like 
maybe because in the U.S. we only talk about the U.S. women's national team. I don't feel like Mary Earps gets her flowers in the United States. How important is she to this team? It's amazing what she does in that back line. We know that England has lost key defenders like Leah Williamson, but Mary Earps being in that back line has been the nail, right? She has been the steady fast. She's the player that comes up for big saves. She's the player that you almost see the defenders never give up on backtracking when they're out of position because they truly believe their goalkeeper is going to give them an opportunity to recover by making a save. A lot of the times, right, when there's a one-on-one with a keeper, you might look at the defenders in the back end of the clip and they're jogging. No one's jogging for England because they feel like Earps is going to do her job of slowing down the play. I think mentally she's got into the head of the penalty takers against Nigeria because they know how good she is in those scenarios and Erbs' story is just wonderful because she talks very openly about the fact that a few years back she was willing to give up football. She was willing to go into the real world and, you know, search for a real job because unfortunately she's of that mindset of the sort of former where women weren't able to be pro footballers in the same capacity. And now she's showing that it was criminal that she was ever kind of blacklisted from the Lionesses under previous management. I think that's something to, to keep in mind, and, and there's a, a bonus podcast on the Off the Woodwork uh, folder that I recommend everybody checks out. Uh, caught up with Gabriel Chapman. He was a former assistant coach at Oglethorpe, uh, as we've called their games before. Now he is in the agency world with specifically really working a lot on the women's professional game. And in the conversation, he had a really important reminder of just the fact that, yes, the investment has improved so much across the women's game, but it's still not the most lucrative field. And you mentioned that with Mary Earps. This story really jumped out to me as I was preparing for this match, Beth England. Mm-hmm. She once worked in a chip shop to fund her, her soccer dreams, and she talked about I mean, this is a quote from from Beth. You know, when I looked when I looked back to working in the chippy, doing a shift until five a.m. and clearing up drunk people's food or alcohol bottles, I'm now playing in a major tournament. That wasn't that long ago for her. No, because again, it wasn't a sustainable career. Look at just ten years ago, where I knew I had to come to the U.S. because there wasn't the professional option. A lot has changed in recent years. And that's why we're seeing the improvement of the level across the board, because so many more players are able to now be professional. Talk about Colombia for a minute. And everyone's seen Melissa Ortiz come out and talk about the growth that she's seen in Colombia and the sacrifices she had to make. There was a point where Colombian players were making like $20 a day, something like that. And that's not enough money to live on. Shock horror. And that just shows the struggles that a lot of these players have faced because we're still kind of in that swirling point where, okay, Alinda Caicedo coming up is a professional footballer, but she's alongside someone like Uzme that you saw score a goal that had to fight that wasn't a professional footballer for so long. And that's what makes this World Cup and this generation of teams so fascinating because you have that mix of the players that inspired the younger generation to believe and to dream and the players, the young guys that are now benefiting from those sacrifices. It's a really interesting mix that makes a nice sub story to this World Cup. Yeah, and this match specifically is an interesting one in that lens of 
Colombia has really started to put more money towards the women's game, and the league is starting to thrive, and the youth player development is starting to thrive, and they're coming at it from a professional mentality, coming at it from the the clubs that are existing, and they're seeing the value in investing in the women's game and the women's side of their clubs. England, we've started to see that as well, and it's further entrenched, and maybe even to the point that when you look at the long-term development of players, England is in a better situation than the United States because of the professionalism side Mm -hmm. of it. And Colombia, with what they're doing, can really make up ground quickly. Both teams have players who are professionals, some making more money than others, but have also had youth players developed in a professional environment. And look at the difference of the results in the recent Youth World Cups, for instance. Colombia, yep. U17, finalists, only losing 1-0 in a heartbreaking game in that one. It's exciting. And when you compare that to the US and their recent failures of getting out group stages in Women's World Cups, that is a great way to predict where the future is going and where mm-hmm. your players are cultivating. And another question mark you have in the US is, is NWSL sustainable enough across the entire USA? Is it big enough right now to get players from all over the US? Is that part of the reason why the US is struggling? Do they have a way of truly cultivating young players and getting them into the professional system early enough? Or are we in a generation that I love the high school game, I love the college game, don't get me wrong, but is that being seen as enough? And is that enough versus the professional academies that we see in other countries across the world in the women's side of the game? Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating conversation over the next four years ahead of the next World Cup. But there's still games in this one, even if some of the the U.S. outlets are not going to be covering this as closely. England, Colombia, what's the most important thing for you for the Lionesses to advance? Being able to be clinical, to break down sides. We saw how Nigeria had a really good game plan They were able to defend. They shut off passing lanes. They didn't allow England to create many opportunities. Colombia will have watched that tape. They will have educated themselves. They're a very smart tactical side as well. They're very organized. And just making sure that you're able to put the game to bed. Because as we've seen with Colombia, and I look back to the Germany-Colombia game, they are never dead. They are never, Mm -hmm. ever putting their heads down. So you have to try and put the game beyond them. But I think it's going to be a huge struggle. And as we all know, Lauren James, and deservedly so, based on her actions, is out of this one. It's a big ask for England, honestly. I don't think this is as clear-cut as some people may be thinking going into this match. Yeah, England, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, minus 500 in this one. The biggest favorite of the quarterfinals, uh, Columbia plus 360 to win. I I think England does get through, but... Extra time would not be a shock in in this one. I think it's going to be really tight. A one-goal game, and I don't know where that goal comes. And I wonder, extra time, is that when the potential professionalism of the English players steps up? The fact that more of them have had years of developing that fitness, developing that mentality, developing that understanding of what it means to play 120 minutes of soccer. France and Australia will, the winner of that will play the winner of England and Colombia. Australia, I guess the biggest question for them in this match is, do you roll the dice on Sam Kerr from the start? Or do you wait thinking that the game could be tight? It's a quarterfinal in a World Cup. Typically they are. 
and have Kerr be more effective coming off the bench. What's your mindset on that? Oh, it's so tough because it's Sam Kerr. It, it's your player, right? It is your player, but at the same time, they've been able to get the business done and they've looked better progressively through this tournament of adjusting to life with Sam Kerr being on the bench and coming off. It, it's got to be based on how she's doing in training right now. Is she looking 100% her full self? How much can the medical staff give her? If she can give you an hour, if they're pretty confident in her giving an hour, I, I say start with it because you want to be able to get off to a bright start against a French side that has been increasingly dangerous and you can't afford to let this game. You don't want to be reactionary with Sam Kersub, right? You want to be able to do it and catch the French off guard instead of thinking, oh, no, we're 2-0 down in the 60th minute. Let's see what Sam can do. Yeah, yeah that if, if that happens, yeah, you've got to then go to the bench immediately. You'd like to keep it tight. I, I don't know if... I don't know if I would risk it from the start. I just I think I'd rather have her running at tired legs, knowing that her fitness won't be a hundred percent unless there's things that we don't know, which is always possible. Managers get cagey at times in these tournaments. I think you're looking at her playing in the second half. I just don't know for how long. And you're right. You'd like to not have that be a desperation move. You'd like to have it be a planned move. France is a favorite, not by a whole lot in this one. Minus 170, Australia's plus 138. Um, do either one of them match up better against England if England gets through in your mind? Oof. I think France is so unpredictable at the moment with what yeah, we've seen from them. We've seen amazing things, but we've also seen conceding three goals against uh, Panama, right? They conceded three goals against Panama. It, yeah. It's mind too, yeah, it's mind-boggling some of the goals that they've conceded and they are a dark horse but also like an I, I just don't think you know what you get with them with Australia the home advantage scares me and we also know that Australia's got the best of England once before is that a positive thing that England maybe sees it as a revenge battle to be the team that's been able to defeat them maybe but I don't fancy the Aussies in Australia somehow I think that becomes a very hostile place to play same. I think that's the, the scarier one for England or for Colombia if they get through just that home field advantage. I mean, this is going to be one of the biggest deals in Australian sports history, not male or female specific, just general sports history. This match and everyone following if they get through this, it's going to be a, an incredible scene for Australia and France. Let's bounce over to the League's Cup. This one is Friday night, Charlotte FC gets through Houston in a very crazy way in the second half. We'll talk about it. And now they will head to Fort Lauderdale to face Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi y Amigos. Um, tell me about how it was watching this game against Houston turn in, what, about 90 seconds of real time? Really confusing, honestly. Anyone that's heard the goal call that Will posted – was genuine confusion. Yes. If you know me, I never, like, it, it was so abnormal. I've never felt like that in a game, but it was to the point that I looked down at my notes to check something about Patrick Agyeman that I wanted to speak about, and I look up, and I'm seeing the goal. For a minute, I thought it was a replay because the camera work was so bad on our monitor, 
And then I'm realizing it's in the back of the net. Then Will's telling me he threw it. And I'm thinking through, we had a bit of a language barrier issue. <laughs> and it was just madness. I've never been a part of it. It was amazing. The second goal is one of the worst goals I've ever seen. And I know we've talked a lot about back pass goals because Spain's done it. Italy's done it in this World Cup. Yeah. But for it to happen directly off the kickoff is extremely unique for Houston to make four passes and the fourth pass to go past the goalkeeper in the back of the net is ridiculous. But I'm tired of the storyline that Charlotte FC received two gifts and that was it. I think they played an okay game. And if it had finished yeah. 1-0, it would have felt like Charlotte was hard done by. The Patrick Ajiman goal, you create that. Oh, Does 100%. the goalkeeper come off his line? Maybe, but the goalkeeper should come off his line in a 1v1. Is it a miscommunication between goalkeeper and defender? Yeah, but still takes a lot of skill. It sets us up. You know, this League's Cup's been really good for Charlotte. Anyone that's followed them knows how difficult the last five matches or so of MLS was with a lot of draws and a bad loss to Montreal slipping down the table. This is what a cup run can do. We see it in Europe, mm -hmm. the magic of the cup, the way it restores team seasons or gives them a distraction in a positive way. Feels like the mental state of this team is in a far better place in the middle of League's Cup versus at the end of MLS before the break. What are the other keys for you for Charlotte as you face Miami on Friday night? I was talking about this yesterday on Sirius FC and you and I have had conversations about oftentimes with into Miami, Messi is synonymous, right? Understandably so. But all focus goes on how do we stop Messi? Can we put 11 players around him? When you do that, you set yourself up for failure because he is not human in his ability to avoid pressure. He's not human in his ability to leave whoever's man marking him in the dust. It's Sergio Busquets that's going to be pulling the strings and distributing passes. So our midfield has to step up and do a better job. I thought they underperformed against Houston. They weren't as dominant as often they are. And I think it's a really big night for Ashley Westwood, Scott Arfield, two players with Premier League experience to demonstrate that they can, you know, dominate that midfield, keep the ball away. And when Busquets has the ball cut off the passing lanes and then having the outlet, whether it be through Svidersky, who everybody knows has talent on his A game to hold the ball up, to be an outlet, to turn and run and attack this side. It's always going to be tough to contain Messi, but I think if you keep the ball, he can't score goals without the ball, right? And we know that Charlotte FC is a side that has in previous matches enjoyed good shares of possession. You guys out there can watch the match on Apple TV's MLS Season Pass. You can also listen to the match on the Odyssey app. You can listen to WFNZ right there and listen to our good friend Will Pelagic and Jess. You guys have a good call. And then try to keep it sane as England plays Columbia early on Saturday morning. It is going to be a wonderful weekend of soccer, but my heart may not take it too well. Thanks, Jason. Coming up next, it's the 343. Hang out with us on 929 the game and the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's time to wrap up tonight's show with the 343. Three, four, three. Three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things that made you smile about the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back. Final segment of the Soccer Pirate Radio edition of Atlanta Soccer Tonight, a bonus edition this week. I'm Jason Longshore. You guys know by now it's the 343. Three local stories, four headlines, three things that make me smile about this game that we're talking about in the middle of the night. Let's start on the local side. Before the Spain Netherlands game tonight, I had a chance to head over to Georgia State and watch Georgia State and Clayton State women's exhibition preseason action. Really good performance for Georgia State. They ended up getting the 8-1 win. Five different goal scorers got on the board for the Panthers. A couple of new faces for Georgia State as well. Freshman Aliyah Fadul scored twice in her college debut. Seika Ikizoe, a transfer. She's a sophomore, so not college debut, but Georgia State debut. She scored twice, and she was a lot of fun to watch. The Japanese midfielder is going to be a great fit with this very technical Georgia State team. And uh, Brooke Hart from the Puerto Rican youth national team system also got two goals for the Panthers. Another freshman, Sir Wadanso, got the goal for Clayton State. Clayton State's going to be a team to watch in D2 in the Peach Belt Conference. Georgia State will try to make an even deeper run in the Sun Belt Tournament. Last year, they had a lot of injuries during the regular season. It all came together in the tournament, made a deep run, but didn't play their way into the NCAA Tournament. It feels like it's so close for Georgia State on the women's side and on the men's side. Both are are really strong programs. You can catch the men for the first time this season on Saturday night. 7 o'clock as they host Clayton State as well. That's at the Georgia State Soccer Complex on MLK, the old Georgia State football training practice facility, if you know where that's at. All right, number two on the local side. Let's stick with the college game, and let's stick on the women's side. All-conference preseason picks are in, and they're starting to get circulated. A couple of big ones at the D1 level here locally. Macy Rainwater of Kennesaw State in the A-Sun, first-team all-conference in preseason. Two Panthers in the Sun Belt, Ava Diaz, Lois, center back, and Elena Diaz, midfielder. Let's start with Rainwater, a junior, vital in the attack for Benji Walton's KSU Owls. I love the just 
engine that Rainwater has. She doesn't stop running. She's great in the press, but she's also got that ability to just have the game slow down when she's on the ball in the attacking third. She can score. She can create for others. She can defend. Macy Rainwater, essential for the Owls as they look to make a run in the A-Sun this season. Now, on the Georgia State side, we talked a lot about Spain in the first segment and their women's national team. Well, the Georgia State Panthers are getting a little bit of those benefits as well. Ava Diaz-Lois, this is going to be her last season with the Panthers, came back for a fifth year at center back, also a really good weapon in set pieces, but for a possession-based team, she's such a calming influence on the back line with the ball at her feet. Elena Diaz is one of those players who came up through a major professional club, Atletico Madrid. Didn't get the call-up to go to the professional level, and it wasn't fully professional at that time in the first division. Came to the States to go to school. Went to Florida to a smaller school first and then transferred here last year. I thought she had a really good season last year. I think coming into this season, Elena Diaz could be one of the most talented central midfielders in the Southeast. She was really good tonight, even without getting on the the score sheet. Number three on the local side. Let's go to the high school game, and let's go to the boys' side up in Gwinnett County. Parkview head boys coach Danny Kleinett, 27th season coaching high school soccer in Gwinnett County this upcoming season. It will be his last season as a coach. He's going to continue as a teacher. He teaches uh, five AP world history classes. But Kleinet, he's won a state title at three different Gwinnett high schools. 2004 with Grayson, 2014 with Brookwood, 2016 with Parkview. He's also a Gwinnett native. He, he played his high school soccer at Duluth. The pain of soccer injuries from his playing days has made it just too difficult to continue on the coaching side. And Look, some coaches can sit and watch and allow others to do things. Not Danny, and I know him well enough to know that he can't just sit there and direct. He has to be a hands-on coach. This is a guy who, after high school, played at Georgia State, played in Scotland from 1990 to 1992, played locally with the old Atlanta Magic, the Atlanta Lightning on the indoor side, the Atlanta Attack on the indoor side. On the coaching side in high school, career record of 290 wins, 125 losses, 18 ties. Needs at least 10 wins, which is doable in his final season to get to that 300-win mark. One of the good guys in the game, Danny Kleinett. This is going to be his last season as a head coach at Parkview. All right, let's get to some headlines from around the world. Number one, Harry Kane. Baby? Finally, the transfer saga is done, possibly. Bayern finally got a deal done for around $110 million with Tottenham. Tottenham kept saying no. Bayern kept going up in price to the point that Tottenham finally said yes. Also, Kane said, look, I want this done before we get into the season. I don't want to start the season and get transferred. Figure it out. So they figured it out, and then it's felt like about a 24-hour period where there was some talk that Harry Kane might not go to Bayern after all. But the latest reports have him headed to Munich today to do all the medical tests and finalize his new four-year contract. He will be paid very, very well. 
He will probably not end up as the all-time leading scorer in the Premier League, although there is a possibility he comes back after his time at Bayern. But there is the also the possibility that Harry Kane maybe wins a Champions League with Bayern, maybe wins a league title with Bayern, two things that he's never had the opportunity to do at Spurs. I hate the way this is dragged out for Ange Postacoglu in his first year with Spurs. You work on it in preseason. It had been talked about in the summer. He comes into preseason. He plays all preseason. He does well in preseason. Seemed to be enjoying all the things that Postacoglu was doing tactically, and now he's going to leave on the eve of the season. (sighs) Should have gotten done sooner. Number two, another one that should have gotten done sooner, Moises Caicedo, Brighton, and Hove Albion, they said, look, we've had all the offers come in for Moises Caicedo. This goes back to the last midseason window. We're setting a deadline. Whoever's the highest bidder at the deadline, you're going to get Caicedo. And everybody thought it would be Chelsea because they almost got the deal done in January. But it's going to be Liverpool, according to reports. An incredible $140 million bid for Caicedo, who is a box-to-box central midfielder. He can score goals, he can defend, he can sit deeper, he can attack more. He's a very multifaceted central midfielder. But $140 million, it's kind of crazy. And this is from a club in Liverpool whose manager, Jurgen Klopp, had, had talked about that's not their MO. They don't go out and spend this kind of money. They develop from within, and he kind of pointed some fingers at other clubs who went out and spent this kind of money. Well, can't point those fingers anymore, and we'll see if Caicedo can live up to such a crazy, crazy amount of money. You also want to speak about crazy. In the January window of 2021, not that long ago, two and a half years ago, Manchester United could have done a deal with Independiente del Valle in Ecuador about $5 million. That's all it would have taken to get Caicedo at that time. He was already playing for Ecuador's senior national team. They said it was too much money. Atlanta United was linked with Moises Caicedo around that time. I don't know if it was ever a real offer or if it was just a name that got pulled out of a hat as Manchester United says no to $5 million. Atlanta United would have paid $5 million for him. And what a return that would have been. Big oopsie on the Manchester United side of things. Uh, speaking of making some extra money on these kind of deals, Independiente del Valle, in about a $5 million deal with Brighton, they kept 20% of his next transfer. That means they're going to make around $42 million with this move of Moises Caicedo to Liverpool. What a deal. What a deal for Independiente del Valle. What a deal for Brighton. What a deal for Caicedo. Now the pressure really starts for him. Number three on the headlines, three of the major European leagues start their seasons this weekend. The Premier League kicks off with Manchester City away at Burnley tomorrow or later today, depending on when you're listening to this. Burnley won the championship last season. They're coached by Vincent Company, who's one of Manchester City's all-time greats. There's a statue of him outside the stadium in Manchester. City won the league, won the FA Cup, won the Champions League last year. One of the big questions is how quickly do they integrate Josko Vardial, the Croatian center back who joined from RB Leipzig last week. He could be in the lineup in this one. In Spain, La Liga kicks off. Sevilla hosting Valencia on the opening night of the season. Sevilla, 
they won a record-extending seventh Europa League title last season. Valencia, they've lost Edinson Cavani. They've lost Yunus Musa. They've lost Justin Clivert. What is Valencia going to look like this season in, in Spain? The French League, what is PSG going to look like? Kylian Mbappe might not be in the team this weekend. Neymar, now reportedly, he's linked to one of the L.A. clubs in MLS, although the window's closed. It's not happening right now. Anyway, he's also been linked to NYC, if you follow the rumor mill. Again, can't come to MLS right now. Who knows how that gets done. Luis Enrique, who was with the Spanish national team at the last World Cup, he is in charge at PSG now, and he's got a lot of headaches to deal with off the field. Number four on the headlines, Jorge Moss, the owner, one of the owners of Inter Miami, he was dropping some knowledge on the Bird app slash the X app earlier today. He tweeted out, the messy effect is real. Subscribers to MLS Season Pass on Apple TV have more than doubled since Messi joined Miami. He also said that Spanish language viewership on Apple TV's MLS Season Pass has surpassed over 50% for the Messi matches, continuing to rise. Fanatics reported that Messi's Miami jersey is the biggest seller ever of a player with a new team, passing LeBron's Lakers jersey, passing Cristiano Ronaldo's short-lived return to Manchester United. Yeah, you can say whatever you want about the on-the-field with Messi, the off-the-field part, the impact, the revenue, it cannot be denied. We're in a new era for Major League Soccer because of Lionel Messi coming to this league. Three things that make me smile about this game quickly. Number one, Atlanta United 2 getting a big win last night over Crown Legacy and MLS Next Pro. Crown Legacy, best team in the league this season. Atlanta hadn't won since the end of June. 3-1 win for the twos. First professional goal for Noah Cobb. First goal of the season for Nelson Orji. Nick Firmino added his 13th goal of the year. He is in the top spot in the MLS Next Pro Golden Boot Race. The twos are back at it on Sunday in New England. You can listen to that match on the Soccer Down Here network at SoccerDownHere.net or on our Soccer Down Here app. Number two, last night, watching the U-12 Atlanta United Academy kids out at the game, they were screaming afterwards to take pictures with Johnny Vial, who might be about the same height as them, but got a lot of talent, that Johnny Vial. Johnny football is a fun one. These guys are they're, they're kids in a professional soccer club's academy. They all want to be pros, but they're also still kids with heroes, and they look up to the Vials and the Cobbs. Claymont Diop played last night for the twos. They were yelling for him. They wanted to get selfies with him. So cool to see, and it just brings you back to being grounded in, in this game after you know, a frustrating set of results for Atlanta United, too. But seeing the kids so excited after the win, that, that was awesome. And number three, the comeback of Olympia from Paraguay tonight in the Copa Libertadores. They lost the first leg of their round of 16 matchup with Flamengo from Brazil. They conceded tonight at home in the eighth minute to go down 2-0. They came all the way back. Three goals from headers. They pulled off the biggest win in Olympia's long history. You can just never, ever count teams out in these kinds of knockout series, knockout games. We've seen it in League's Cup. We've seen it in the Women's World Cup. See it in Copa Libertadores tonight. Thanks for hanging out with me for a bonus edition of Atlanta Soccer tonight. We'll be back next Monday at 10 p.m. Hopefully you can join us then. Make sure you're subscribed to Off the Woodwork to get all of our soccer content from 92.9 The Game. And make sure you are getting it on the Odyssey app as well. Y'all have a good rest of the night. Adios, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 